Welcome to this episode of Finding the Future, where we interview thought leaders and innovators in land use and sustainability. I'm Bill Griffith. Today, we join a panel of real estate experts tackling the tough question of how to revive downtown Minneapolis. After a year of dealing with the pandemic, social unrest, and shuttered businesses, Minneapolis business and political leaders are searching for ways to bring people back downtown. Even as the state has ramped up vaccinations against the coronavirus, downtown remains a bit of a ghost town with few office workers, limited events, and restaurants and bars scrambling to attract customers. A recent real estate panel organized by BizNow found plenty of bright spots on the horizon as people are ready to leave their homes in pursuit of a bit of normalcy, elusive as that may seem. Brent Robertson is market lead for JLL's office in Minneapolis. He's working on several large commercial real estate projects in and around downtown. He kicked off the panel discussion. I'll speak to a fellow law firm in Fredrickson and Byron. And we were talking to them for a long time about relocating to 60 South 6th Street and really over two years working with the management team over there. And I wouldn't say the pandemic had an effect on them committing to new office space, but I just think them committing to a new 180,000 square foot long-term lease in downtown Minneapolis in the middle of what has been a troubling 2020 just speaks volumes to their commitment and a large law firm, a large professional service firm committing to downtown Minneapolis. Ann Barrent is CEO of Doran Companies, a local developer of multifamily and commercial projects. Just stepping back a bit and looking at this from a bigger picture perspective for most businesses, it was an opportunity to reset and reassess and get a bit of clarity around, okay, pre-pandemic, you know, what was working with our business and what wasn't working? And this is an opportunity to say, hey, we can use this as a time to shift gears or look at how do we function from an office space standpoint and do we need to alter that approach? From our perspective, for example, pre-pandemic, we were really trying to emphasize the need for our construction project management staff to be on site more often versus in the office setting. And that happened, you know, probably as a result of the pandemic much quicker than we thought that it would, just trying to emphasize that over time. So for us, that was a positive. And then, you know, I think the other thing that's a big deal for our community is is that we are all having these very different, very, I think, thoughtful conversations about equity, inclusion, you know, anti-racism within our organizations and within our community. And how do we truly drive that in our businesses and how do we drive that within our spheres of influence? And to me, you know, that is a much needed shift that I think we're all going through. Todd Simning is president of Adore Homes, a builder of custom homes and unique multifamily projects. Todd, what about you? Silver linings in the pandemic? Silver lines, definitely in the new construction end in single family. There was a big push towards people wanting home offices and that sort of thing. But what was interesting is that the multifamily also picked up and going into it kind of in the pandemic, not really thinking that people wanted to be together. But we're finding out that there's still quite a appetite to live in a multifamily area in a complex apartment building, condo building, that sort of thing. So you would think that people would kind of pull away, but yet people are still wanting to congregate, although obviously with safety precautions in there. Yeah, let's talk about the downtown market since that's our focus. It's been interesting to me to talk to realtors and others about the downtown market. A year ago, again, people were like, oh, no one's going to want to live there and there's going to be this huge out migration to the suburbs. 
I don't think we've seen it, but can you kind of accentuate that point? For us in particular, I just tried to buy another piece of property in Minneapolis about a month ago. I did not get it because I was I was the low bidder. <laughs> and so it kind of showed me that people are still wanting to invest in Minneapolis. I took that as a, uh, as a real positive. Obviously, I wanted to be there. I thought I saw an opportunity. I didn't get the, uh, the property itself. But the other thing that I've noticed hanging around the uh, North Loop area is there still is a lot of activity around there. Whether you're at Fairgrounds Coffee, whether you're at Martin Patrick, you can see that the Hewing Hotel is starting to you know, pick back up. A lot of people walking around down in that area and really want to get out, particularly on the uh, nice days. So I actually didn't see that mass exodus, even though people thought that that was going to happen. Were there some? Yes, there always is. But we did not see the mass exodus from Minneapolis. Others want to comment on that? Yeah, I think from a multifamily perspective, the downtown market is holding its own. There's projects that are in lease up right now that are doing fine. And when you look at the submarkets within the downtown area, I think performance has been spotty. But generally speaking, the position that most of those buildings are in is, I guess I would say, okay with the hope that as we come out of this pandemic and we come into the spring and summer leasing season, that you're starting to see that activity continue to increase. So I think that's a positive, but I also think just given the, you know, the term of most of these leases, we're probably 12 to 18 months out from really understanding fully what kind of impact 2020 had on the downtown leasing market. But I think as we stand right now, we're doing generally okay. Brent, I want to turn to you on kind of a similar topic, investor sentiment. Where are investors in this cycle? Are they on the sidelines? Are they getting back, are they coming off the sidelines? Yeah, so I'll speak to 2020. There's only two notable trades, the Thriving Headquarters trade, as well as the Millwright trade. I'll speak to both. And I think they kind of tell you what the story is from an investor standpoint. Millwright went under contract pre-COVID and it closed in the pandemic and there was no retrading on that deal, which to me tells me that the, the buyers were, they're committed to downtown Minneapolis long-term and they believe in downtown Minneapolis long-term. And the recent Thriving trade, which was a record-breaking cap rate on the office side, again, speaks to the same. These are large sums of money being invested in commercial office buildings in downtown Minneapolis in 2020. And although we haven't seen any new product come out in 2021, I can tell you, I've talked to a number of, of investors who called me or my partners and just said, Brent, you know, what are you hearing? We're interested in Minneapolis. We're ready to do business in Minneapolis. If you know of anything coming out or trading, we'd love to take a look at it. So that was not the case last summer. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Last summer was apocalyptic. I've been people who have heard me say that June, July, and August were very, very difficult. But after the unfortunate suicide of Eddie Frank Jr. on Nicollet Mall, that was August 26th, and the way Chief Arredondo shut that down within two hours. Ever since then, it's just September was better than the summer, October better than September. And now I just think that we got to get through the trial. We got to get the vaccine out faster. But again, investor sentiment we're seeing on my side of the table is right back to pretty much where it was in 2019. And what would you say on the multifamily side for investors? When you look at the market as a whole outside of downtown, you know, just the Twin Cities, we're seeing a lot of continued interest in this market. And I think the questions about downtown are, it's interesting, it's different than last summer, as Brent said. It's not what's going on in your city, what is the deal with your downtown, and it's much more kind of back to the questions that you would get 
a year ago about, okay, let's look at the comps, what's happening in this market. So I think all of that is positive. There are new projects both under construction right now in lease up and then new projects that are being proposed, which I think all of that bodes well for the future of the city. So we're continuing to see strong investor interest in this market. One bit of news that we can't ignore is kind of the elephant in in downtown is the Target decision to largely pull out of at least one office building they're in. They still have a very significant presence downtown, so I think that has to be said. And they've had a a long-term build up in Brooklyn Park, and so that's another piece of the puzzle. For folks who are trying to lease space, for folks who are trying to build space or just to hang on to space, what does that mean, the Target decision? That was an unfortunate announcement and the timing of it is tough just as we're trying to all of us get some momentum with businesses at least planning to reopen downtown. But Target was moving employees up to their Brooklyn Park campus already. I mean, that strategy was in place prior to the pandemic. And we just had an announcement what yesterday about Dayton's leasing a, a good chunk of their project, which is awesome. And I think, as Brent said, I mean, there's a genuine commitment to the downtown market by a number of businesses in town. And I think that's going to continue to just drive that momentum. Brent, do you want to take a stab at what it means for the market? Sure. I'm going to speak to the downtown market. I'm going to speak to Target and then I'll speak to just some national trends. So the first off is what it means to downtown. So Q1 2020, there was six and a half million square feet of availability. Q1 2021, there's six million square feet. If you take out Dayton's, which delivered, call it 800, 900,000 square feet, and if you take out the 950,000 square feet sublease for Target. So I know you can't ignore those two, but that was two big chunks of space that were delivered in 2020 and then Target 2021. But put that aside, we had positive absorption for 2020, which is amazing. So I think this is, for Target, they're, they're a forward-thinking company. They're innovative. And they're always thinking about their employees. They feel at this time, this is the best solution for what their employees want. They have 10 and a half years left on that lease at City Center. And I continue to say this is the first couple pages of the first chapter which is of what's going to be a long book. And they'll try it out. And if it works, they'll lean into it more. If it doesn't, they'll pivot. That's just my Brent Robertson opinion. I don't know anyone at, at Target. I don't speak to anyone. But again, they're, they're outwardly trying to do what's best for their employees. And their employees are telling them they want the flexibility to work up in Brooklyn Park or, or to work downtown. And the space at Sydney Center isn't connected to their headquarters, which they own and they're committed to long term. What I will say, though, it's different than what we're seeing nationally. You see Google announced they're going to add 10,000 office jobs across the country last week. I'll use you know, Amazon's not a perfect apples to apples. Amazon's got 15 million square feet in Seattle. They got 6 million square feet in Bellevue. They've added 2.6 million square feet of office leases since March of 2020. So there's other companies that are, you know, again, I'm not on this panel to you know, shoot down target strategy. It's what they think's right. But there's other companies I want to point out that are taking a much different approach to the office space. That's helpful. Todd, I don't know if you have anything to add. I know that's a little out of your bailiwick, but you're an investor in downtown. Yeah. You know, uh, the only thing that I can add there, honestly, is that I truly believe that as the uh, vaccine kind of gets out uh, a little bit more prevalent, people are going to go back to the mean. They want to socialize. They want to hang out. I personally know quite a few people that actually want to get back to the office. They're tired of being pigeonholed at home. They like their happy hours. They like going out. And so I I truly do think that even with the uh, uh, businesses that are actually coming in, even to the North Loop area, again, downtown isn't as much of my, my area. 
I want to shift a little bit to something we're all experiencing, and it's not <laughs> COVID craziness. It's just maybe an outgrowth of it is the supply chain disruptions, hard to get appliances. I know a guy was building out his bar in his basement, and it took six months to get a fridge. <laughs> but it's it's much bigger. It's a much bigger impact on those of you who are trying to construct things. How do you manage that uh, supply chain issue and the price increases that have gone on with it? There's an element of getting ahead of it and ordering things really, really early. But the bigger issue, I think, for us, the appliances have been an issue and we've had to pivot a bit and you know make decisions to maybe swap out, okay, we were going to go with this type of fridge and now we're going to go with this other one because it's available and it's the same quality, but it's maybe not now the brands aren't going to match with all of your appliances. So some of those types of just practical decisions, I think people have had to make to adjust and be able to open your buildings. But bigger issue for us and for everybody that's building any kind of wood construction right now is lumber prices. And we're watching that, but that's an issue that I don't think is going to go away here. And steel prices, and there's other construction material prices that are really volatile that I think are going to be an area of concern as the recovery happens and construction starts to increase. Todd, I know you had some insight on the lumber business, kind of how we get (laughs) kind of board feet for our projects. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a couple uh, friends that had timber uh, farms out in uh, Wisconsin, and they're thinking they're going to get more money for their lumber today because there's a shortage, prices are going up. But in reality, what's actually happening is that there's plenty of logs at the mills. The issue has been actually getting those milled out into two by fours and two by sixes, two by eights, and and everything else we need as dimensional lumber and getting them to the uh, distributors and that sort of thing. So there's a real bottleneck right there. I don't have any crystal ball on that, but what I'm kind of told is towards a third, fourth quarter, as we're not having to do as much COVID protocol, um, that sort of thing, there's going to be more product coming back out. But what we're doing is, again, probably same as Ann, um, we're encouraging all of our clients to make choices and selections well ahead of what they normally would have had to make a selection on, just so we can get out way out in front of it to make certain that we have a good opportunity to get the product. And even when you make those long advance decisions, I think everybody else is doing the same thing. So it's been pretty tough. I know uh, I know people that have waited six months to nine months for a refrigerator in a kitchen, even in the new construction end right now. So it's a real issue and it's not going to, to Ann's point, it's not going to go away soon. But third, fourth quarter, we should start seeing a little bit more capacity there. Our approach has been on this, just take it issue by issue, project by project, and you got to kind of knock these issues out as they come. So for example, we know that there's a factory in China that makes components that go into a number of different products that we need in our buildings that was backlogged. And so as soon as we knew that, we started working with our subcontractors to identify, okay, you know, what's another alternative here? But a lot of this is just about, it's a bigger question for us as a society about how our supply chain works. I mean, the disruption happens and the ripple effect from that is going to happen for a period of time. And that's what we're experiencing. Brent, I want to, in the same topic, I want to talk to you about and have you talk to us about a build out of an office space, you know, for a large law firm, for instance, 
how do you manage that risk? Is there some risk sharing that goes on? You know, as a lawyer, as a law firm tenant, I don't necessarily want to share that risk, but how do you manage that risk? Number one time, getting going on the project right now, and I'll, again, I'll use Fredrickson and Byron. They're not moving in for two years, but they've hired an architect. They've hired a general contractor. They are going and they're going to take as much time as they can. So maybe, you know, pre five years ago, you'd start a project six to nine months before your lease is up. If you're a large professional services firm, you need to be out two to three years in advance. So time number one, start earlier and don't put yourself in a box would be the biggest thing. But, you know, I'll speak to just today, the leasing that's getting done in call it the last 12 months has been short term and a ton of spec suites. Now, smaller firms, 3,000, 5,000, 8,000 square feet. But, you know, landlords where they're committing, just build the space out and many times furnishing it. Um, that's another way to eliminate risk because time is risk. And these companies don't want to take uh, on any more of that risk. So they're pushing it to the burden of the landlord and the landlord responding by saying, okay, I'll just build it. I'll furnish it. Take it as is. So you're saying the owners are taking on more risk because they don't want to stand still with regard to build outs or uh, tenant work. Yeah, their only risk is deteriorating ROI the longer time that space sits on the market. You know, if you deliver a space in January of this year and you don't lease it for a year, you know, that ROI obviously deteriorates. So try to lease it as fast as you can. But it's really eliminating the risk from the tenant side. The risk, again, the risk from the landlord side is just we don't lease it for a long time. There's no really no risk. They're just committing dollars to it without actually having a deal, which for some landlords is tough to stomach. I think the big question for the day is the vaccination process and how it affects real estate. What does it mean for real estate and how are you, you know, some of you are actually managers of your business. How are you encouraging your staff to get vaccinated? Are you making allowances for them to get vaccinated? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Number one, having people get vaccinated and being efficient about this process is so key to where we need to go as a country and as a community in the Twin Cities. And one of the things that I think I'm seeing that's so positive within our company, we have a a number of people that have at least received one shot at this point. If you're internet savvy and you're willing to drive a little bit, you can get a shot right now. There are a lot of places in kind of the rural areas around the Twin Cities where they have sufficient supply of vaccine. So that's all been really positive. One of the things that we're doing here is we actually are planning a, a big party. We didn't have a holiday party last year. We didn't do any of our typical grand openings when we open new projects. I think like most companies, we're really starved for that celebration and connection that is typically such a big part of who we are. And so we're planning that and we intend to have that party happen probably early fall. But the idea is, is that when you come to this party, you need to be vaccinated. And so I think there's some incentives maybe that we can use as employers to encourage people to take those necessary steps. But we are not going to mandate it as a company, but we're strongly encouraging it. We opened our office June 15th and we've been social distancing. I know Ann's been in the office, Todd's been in the office. It was 20% occupied this summer, kind of got up to 30, 40% after the holidays. Social distancing, wear your mask. When you sit down to your Cuba office, you can take it off. We've had zero transmissions, zero. And I literally just had a call with on Monday with one of my partners. And I'm like, hey, you know, how's the office? She's like, Brent, the office is packed. Like in a good way, not like social distance packed. So listen, I'm not going to, I can tell you right now, I'm not going to require anyone to come back if they don't feel comfortable to come back. And I haven't yet. I'm not going to. But I'm just sensing like a lot of people on this panel, probably a lot of people in the audience listening People want to get back, so I'm just going to be smart about it. But I'm not going to I'm not going to be pushy about it. Our corporate office is out in the uh, suburbs. We're a little smaller organization, 
Well, what's interesting, as I was telling the panel earlier today, is that in our building overall, and there's, I don't know, probably 10 tenants in here, 80% of us have been back to the office since last summer. And everybody's doing their part to uh, social distance, wear their masks, that sort of thing. We're obviously encouraging people. We're not going to mandate that our employees get a shot. I think that's a personal decision on their part, but it is something that we are trying to encourage in the construction business overall, when you're building an apartment, single family house, whatever it was, there's a lot of people in and around there. And I think the biggest thing that I've stressed last summer and even this year is that my most important thing that I want to see out of our employees and our business is to stay open. So whatever we need to do to stay open, I think it's our obligation to actually do the right things. When we think about how we reopen and how we manage through these next few months, because now we are going into this next transition period with this thing, I think what we're trying to do is look at this on a case-by-case basis, understand where people are at. If people have concerns, what are those concerns? Final question. We've got just a little under five minutes, so we're going to just do this kind of quick round robin of looking forward five years. You can either say what you'd like it to be or what you think it will be five years from now. Five years from now. Well, I think when we look at Minneapolis and downtown in particular, I think we are going to be back to where we were. There's some anchor activities that occur downtown from the Twins to multiple different conventions to restaurants. And I think it's going to continue to be a destination that's desired and that's vibrant. So I think that we'll continue to see multifamily activity, maybe smaller projects, you know, infill type projects versus the larger scale deals that we've seen the last few years. And I think that we're in the suburban markets, we're going to continue to see strong growth from my perspective on the multifamily front there as well. So, you know, I think I think the five-year out picture is bright. I think our challenges are going to be construction costs. I think interest rates, you know, something that everybody's watching and just how these deals get put together may shift a bit. Thank you. Brent? I hope to see more companies choosing to relocate a division to Minneapolis-St. Paul area. We've seen a little bit of it. We'd love to see more of it. And with flexible work, I think we are going to see more of it in cities like Minneapolis-St. Paul, where the cost of living is much lower than a Bay Area or Seattle. And we have a strong economy. We have a diverse economy all the things that Prayer MSP is promoting. So I'm hoping in five years, we have more success on that front of getting companies to locate a little bit. I do have a question for you too, Bill, when you're done. You gotta let the group know <laughs> how, they can, uh, how they can sign up for your podcast. So a little more fact, Bill Griffith's got his own podcast. All right, Todd? You know, I'm an optimist at heart. You know, after going through the uh, residential uh, downfall, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, <laughs> uh, and actually being a survivor of it, We started buying uh, investment uh, development land in 2011, probably at least two years ahead of what others kind of anticipated out of the residential side. And the reason I did that is just knowing that people always seem to go back to the norm. And I remember back in those days, everybody told me that there was no way real estate would ever be the price that it was in 2007. And I said, I don't think so. You know, I've seen this before. I was working in the uh, REO business with my aunt back during Resolution Trust Corporation back in the uh, late 80s. And my aunt back then said, Todd, no matter what, buy real estate, it's going to go up. 
So 2011, we started buying real estate again as uh, investment. And we are well ahead of what 2007 prices are today. And I do see that uh, optimism and I, I do see optimism in, in people in general. And uh, I think they want to get out. It's great to end on an optimistic note. And you've all been great panelists. And I do want to say, you know, one of the things I'm hopeful about is I remember the last recession and it was pretty dark. And yet, as we got through it and toward the end of the recovery, virtually anybody who wanted to have a job had a job. And that's what I'm looking forward to is people getting back to work. I think it takes care of a lot of the issues, the social issues when people have good jobs and when they see a future and when they have educational opportunities. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that. And I, again, I want to thank the panel. It's been a lot of fun to join you again. No one will dispute that the last year has been difficult for all of us. And it's easy to get mired in all the bad news. So it was great to spend the afternoon with some hardworking, seasoned real estate professionals who do see a brighter future, not only in downtown Minneapolis, but across the region and beyond. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding the Future. And thanks to BizNow for organizing this panel and allowing us to reuse the recording. If you have a story about innovation in land use and sustainability, I'm ready to listen. I'm Bill Griffith.